Is there anyone here or anyone in sub pop history that you wouldn't prank? That you felt like it just it wouldn't work on? Um, no. <laughs> um, but no, no one is off limits. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 10.5 of the Sub Pop Podcast. I am Arwen Nix here with Seattle's favorite sunbreak, Alyssa Atkins. Hello, Arwen Nix. Hi, Alyssa. Hello, episode 10.5. It's our season one bonus episode. Yeah, our actual finale. And our actual finale, which should be coming to your podcast feed right on April 1st, Mm -hmm. which happens to be Sub Pop Records anniversary, 28th anniversary, in fact. And we thought... We can't end without hearing from Megan Jasper. Yeah. So rather than like, you know, just talk about the lexicon and grunge or just talk about pranks, we decided to go into her history and her time at Sub Pop and what it's been like to watch this label evolve. Yeah. Good times and bad times. Not so good times. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll just, uh, we'll just start now. How do you think the podcast is going? I love the podcast. Yeah? I love it so much. <laughs> I can't even tell you. It's the best way to tell Sub Pop story. All of those records are made by people who have lives beyond making music. And many of them have been able to have these incredible careers because of the people who have been supporting them, whether that's family or whether that's writers or radio people or store people or friends of theirs. And so what Sub Pop really is, is this massive community of folks who all have interesting, weird, and stunning lives and who have this bizarro common denominator that is music. So you've worked at Sub Pop since when? When did you first get hired? I first got hired in the fall of 1989. And then like mid-90s, you started to take a more, like more of a leadership role? So I like to say I got fired, uh-huh. um, but really I got laid off in 1991. The company was I mean, it did not go belly up, but it was it was in tough, tough shape. And there had been a series of layoffs throughout that, maybe the past like six months. The company had gotten pretty small at that point. They, they didn't want to lay anybody off, but I know that they didn't want to lay me off because they were, they would tell me and they would check in on me after, you know, whatever round happened. But, you know, you have to do what you have to do sometimes. And so uh, my time did come up. And then I had this huge epiphany, which was, I don't have to be a school teacher. I don't have to go back to school. I don't have to teach. I can do what I want to do. And what did you want to do? I wanted to 
be really close and involved with music. But I'm tone deaf, so I can't sing, <laughs> and I can't play an instrument. And I, I loved what I'd been doing at Sub Pop. It was so much fun to work with people like that and, and with bands like that. So I decided I was going to stay in Seattle and find a music job. Then I got a phone call from Pat Riley, who had been um, one of my coworkers at Sub Pop, and he had gotten laid off shortly before me. And Pat said... He had taken, after Sub Pop, a job at Caroline Records doing distribution. And he was offered a job at Frontier, which was a pretty great label. And he said, you should apply for my job at Caroline. I'm leaving. And so I took my resume. I applied for it. I interviewed, and I got the job. So I did music distribution through Caroline for a year and then for ADA when they began I had those jobs for about six or seven years, and then I came back to Sub Pop in 1998. And so in 98, when you came back to Sub Pop, what shape was the label in? It was weird. There was a lot of scar tissue. A lot of people saw their close friends lose their jobs, get laid off. It was a different time for the label because the label had been growing and the label had money for so many years and then all of a sudden the money had run out. The money had come partially from Nirvana sales and partially from uh, the Warner Music deal. So, and it was, a, it was a lot of money, but I think the company still wasn't old enough to understand just how to manage it and I think that the label was doing everything that they thought they needed to do in the moment and at the time which was not so unusual from what other labels were doing finally cross-eyed the competition at that time it, it wasn't other independent labels. It was partially major labels and, who and were trying to be indie. Major labels trying to be indie, and then you have just like this massive influx of pop music happening yeah. again at the time in a way that it hadn't happened for a long time. Like, yes. Where suddenly Spice Girls and Backstreet Boys and everything like that is like just taking over the world again in this crazy pop music That's way. That's exactly what was happening. And yeah. so... What was the culture like at Sub Pop at the time as far as like, like who were some of the artists that were on Sub Pop at the time, like that 98 era? So the first music that I remember getting for an upcoming release was um, was Joe Pernice. It was the Pernice Brothers record. Never think to ever look around, never see it coming at you with you. Head in the clouds. Looking like a fool, drinking like a clown, worried you'd be nobody, not so far from that. It's a fucking great record. It's a beautiful record, and but it's really good. We had uh, the third Spinane's record come out. Uh, we were 
talking about Mike and the Melvins at the time, which is really funny because that record is coming out now finally after 17, 18 years. A Combustible Edison record, a Jesus and the Mary Chain record. So totally different than like what is happening in the mainstream of music at the time. Was it? Yes. Was that intimidating for Subhat to see like what was getting attention? I don't think so. I think, you know, the thing that's pretty great about Sub Pop, I think, in all of Sub Pop's time is is that the label has always been kind of fearless in that way. And I think where that comes from is, is just having a sense, not even a solid understanding, which I, I think we're getting better at that. But I think we've always had a sense of who we are as a record label, what the identity, what is Sub Pop's identity. And I think when you're comfortable in your own skin, it's it's easier to be out in the world. And I think Sub Pop was comfortable in its own skin, you know, whether the times were considered good times or bad times. Well, and not too long after that, there were some bad times for the label. So what happens? So, and this is kind of a lot of, this is around the same time as when I was coming back because I vividly remember Sub Pop making these sweatshirts that were pretty awesome sweatshirts. And, and maybe even two years earlier, I remember a lot of people wearing Sub Pop jackets and Sub Pop stuff. And then no one was wearing that. And I remember thinking it was weird or funny, but I didn't totally understand it. And when I went back to work there, I it became very clear that people were afraid to wear the label because the label, there, there were so many bridges that were burned and not on purpose. Like what? Like still us maybe not paying bills on time mm. or laying people off that people cared about or firing people that people cared about um, folks getting caught in cr- the crossfire of that shit there were a lot of people who were subjected to hard realities and and often those realities were someone losing a job where everyone had a different opinion as to whether that person should have lost a job or not there were so many stories like that. I'm grateful that I worked at ADA at the time and that I wasn't in the thick of all of that. But there were there were a lot of people I felt badly for. And some of those were folks who lost jobs. And some of them were people like Jonathan, who was really, truly just trying to do the best he could with the situation. So it all blends together because yeah. there's light and dark to everything. And so I don't see it in those terms so much. It was just a phase and part of the story that led to something else. It was that led to stronger ground. When in your mind, like when you think back, was a step in the right direction? Um, I think two things happened. One is we started working with the Murder City Devils. And you can't be around those folks and not have it turn into a family circus in the <laughs> best case 
sense, like in the, in the best way possible. Um, so when we started really working so closely with them, it became so much more fun. They were fun and funny and smart and always game for anything. Um, and I think they helped to kind of pull all of us together a little bit. Then, as we were gelling better, we started working with the shins. I think and when we started working with the shins, that gave us music that seemed to come so out of the blue and it was something so interesting and quirky and and clever and so different from everything else so different from everything else everywhere yeah and and then working with those guys also it's you meet you meet any of them and you fall in love with them in two seconds <laughs> and you just want another glass of Kool-Aid because it is the best reality you can ever have is hanging out with all of them at that time in that moment. It was the best. But the best thing was I thought I think Chris Jacobs said it so well. He was our publicist at the time and he put the CD into um, mailings and sent them to writers and all he said was I'm not even going to sell this because I don't have to just listen to it. And that he knew that he could do that. Yeah. And and just let the music truly let the music speak for itself. It gave all of us this because that's that's one department's version, but we all felt that way and so it gave us this pride that and this feeling of strength that I think we hadn't really felt collectively in a very long time. I think we were, we were taking st steps to get there and there were fun things and good people around who were helping us to get there. But I think it was the shins that really kind of pushed us over into this new world. that felt stronger and better and brighter and really interesting and and then they ended up attracting other artists as well
in the years since, do any struggles stand out in your mind? Like, have there still been hard times? Like, it can't be 100% easy 100% of the time. It's never easy. So this is the thing. It's like the folks who went through that financial hardship with the company, we're sort of like the old people who, you know, talk about the Great Depression and, (laughs) you know, oh, my God, we'd wait in line and pay, you know, this small amount of money for a piece of corn. But, um, but... We, I mean, we know what cutting corners is, and you can't put that on new people. You know, you have to, it's nice when people come in with no baggage because it makes things feel light. On the other hand, um, new folks coming in who have never had that worry of whether, you know, people are going to call them up and, you know, harass them because they're not getting paid for the services that they should have been paid for six months ago. Um, they don't have those experiences. So there, there's a funny, um, there's just a funny difference in perspective that exists in the company now. And it's not good or bad. It's just what we have and what there is. People who are recently hired, they they shouldn't have the same perspective that someone like Jonathan has or I have or Chris Jacobs has or Jeff Kleinsmith. It's it's just not possible and it, it would be weird. It's also not where, you know, new ideas come from. So what's the scariest part of your job at this point like because you do have the perspective of different times at Sub Pop yeah. like what worries you now um, that's a great question there are lots of things little things that worry me but they're usually so temporary and they fly by sometimes if there's too much room there are too many ideas and we have too many things almost happening at once and in those moments I almost feel like I'm watching, like, like I'm seeing how a car crash can happen, and that's scary to me. Usually, those things end up getting filtered out naturally, but it is, there are times when I'm like, oh my god, like, and it's a relief when something doesn't end up happening. Um, but the other thing that can be stressful is when you're taking on an awful lot, and, and we do all the time, I think. The, the worry is, um, the other worry is burnout with people. Because I think especially when you are at a place that's mission-driven, like Sub Pop and Hardly Art both are, you go harder than you would if you worked at an insurance company. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're working at a place where you're dealing every day with the ins and outs of someone's dreams. Yep. Everything they want their life to be and their music and their art and all of these things and And you know those artists so well that you know the impact it's going to have on their family you know the impact it's going to have on them and their bandmates and their their team of people that they work with it's intense so you have to we have to make sure that we are the support system so those are the stresses so what are some of the rewards um, the rewards are um, there is 
there is no greater work joy than watching a show and seeing an artist like so come to life you know hearing them play new songs and and even having some insight as to where those songs came from the the journeys and struggles that they have been through um the creative um force that kind of overtook someone in a moment we talk about those things and so when you see that take form in a song and you see it performed by that person it feels truly devotional in the moment and and when you see that and you see these people doing their thing and then you see your coworkers loving every minute of it because they're having that same experience it feels otherworldly in the best way imaginable I've known Jonathan for almost 30 years and not only known him, he's been one of my closest friends for that long. And so to see him build this thing and this thing that I don't even know how to describe because it's not just a record label, it's a community, it's people, it's families, it's people's lives, it's music, it's songs that have had an impact on strangers and created stories that we'll never even hear. You know, it's a crazy ripple effect. And to see him create this company that has become so much larger than any one person who's been a part of it, like, that's been cool to sit so closely to him and see this thing grow. And, and... And then to have a place in it, that might be the greatest reward ever. That sentiment that Megan shared about feeling like it's an honor to work here with Jonathan, I don't think that there's anyone in this building that wouldn't agree with that. There is just this feeling of he leads this company with such grace and um, knowledge that it does feel like an honor to get to work with him and to help work with all these bands it's um she said it better than i could obviously <laughs> she's very articulate i'm chopped up megan you did such a good job she did do a really good job and there is a certain level of i mean it might sound strange to say it but there is like a level of dignity that everyone who works here has when handling the work of these artists and people on the label and everyone that is involved with sub pop it's people really respect the stuff that's getting made and are really putting their all into it and yeah, I think it's I think part of that is because people like Megan and Jonathan are so supportive. Yeah, it's true. And I agree with everything you said, although I think it's for sure the first time dignity has been used <laughs> in relation I've to I've only worked here a couple of months. So maybe <laughs> No, I'll I'm throw just that gonna bask out. in it. I feel like, yeah, what that could be true. <laughs> dignity. I like it.
grace? Any grace? We heard so much good music in that interview with Megan, including Mark Lanigan, the Afghan Wigs, the Spinanes, Codeine, the Pernice Brothers, Murder City Devils, which was my first sub-pop band that I ever saw live, um, the Shins, Tiny Vipers, Sarah Cahoon, the Wipers, and of course, Mud Honey. Um, all of that great music can be found on Sub Pop FM. Yes. Catch Sub-Pop up on FM. that the whole season. Mm-hmm. And find us on social media. We're uh, at Sub Pop Podcast on Twitter. We're also on Facebook. Please reach out and let us know what you want to hear in season two. And if we should bring Stuart Fletcher back. Yeah. There wasn't a Mega Mart ad in here. So you have to go back to the previous episodes and listen to understand our context. Or, you know, just miss it. But thanks to Stuart Fletcher. Thanks to Jonathan and Megan. Thanks, you guys. Happy anniversary. And how about let's talk for a second about uh, special thanks to Chris Jacobs. Special thank you to Christopher Jacobs. Sub Pop's general manager. He has been helping us along, Mm -hmm. plodding along with us on this podcast, giving us notes, pointing out when we misspeak. Living with it when we don't correct it. Probably just barely able to live with it. Indefatigable, I think is how you're supposed to say it. So any of you that have heard, you know, the mistakes that we've made, just start a support group with Chris, I guess. Because he heard them, noticed them, asked us to fix them, and then we we didn't. Uh, But we couldn't have done this without Chris, so thank you so much for that. buddy. We also couldn't have done this without the artists and videographers and everyone that was willing to sit down and talk to us for this season of the podcast. It was... A, a grand experiment when we were starting out and everyone was super game and we really really appreciate it yeah and thanks to all the listeners yeah sub pop staff all of you guys yeah really appreciate it thank you thanks for listening thank you <laughs> we're presuming it. you're still listening are you still there <laughs> anyone hello um season one that's it right <laughs> Alyssa? good job Arwen. good job Alyssa. <laughs> That's enough.
I love to, the thing that I really like about your pranks from what I've heard so far is that they're, they're people that you love the most. Like you're not, you're not playing pranks on strangers, like trying to be mean. It's like people that you're really close with, you guys are pranking each other. Oh yeah, a prank is a hug. Oh, Megan, that's so sweet and terrifying. <laughs>